AM 630, The Word. KSLR, San Antonio. And online at am630theword.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. Steady as she goes. Faithful like old, old faithful <laughs> over there in the park, you know. Hi, everybody. This is Soapy. We're back on the air just like every Sunday evening. This is The Bible Live. And we are ready to make our way, continue our way now through the books of First and Second Samuel. So I hope that you're ready to um, kind of get away from the... A little bit, a tiny little bit away from the concerns of the world, uh, and I mean that. The entire world these days, is uh, this uh, illness, this virus has taken the world by storm and has changed, um, really, has changed history. We are living in the middle of a very amazing uh, series of events, this uh, virus coming out of China into uh, our country and you know, countries around the world called the coronavirus. What is it? Um, um, COVID-19. COVID, yeah, COVID-19. It's the 19th version of this particular virus. It's it's uh, adjusting or changing. or Wow, what an amazing story. I, it, it is, is uh, so far beyond any of our experience. It's not like war. You know, if you go to war, I mean, people, men of the country go into the military, they train, and they're sent to the battleground wherever it has been around the world. We've never had a, a war uh, except the, the Civil War, I suppose, right here on our own um, territory, on our own nation. But then people are gone, and, yeah, jobs change and situations change, and the women have to get into the workforce and all of that. But this is so so very different. This is this is kind of apocalyptic in a way, isn't it? I mean, this kind of. I was looking today in Revelation. I think it's chapter seventeen. 
there's a, it talks about in the book of the Revelation in the New Testament, it talks about this um, illness or this plague that wipes out a third of uh, the life on planet Earth. And, you know, it's apocalyptic. We don't know exactly what it means, uh, that particular book, but it's, it, it is just amazing. The, the, the things that, w- that we're seeing, that we're living today are, is just amazing. But we have to keep our eye uh, on the Lord. You, I mean, we have to. You don't have to. If you don't want to, you can just kind of panic and be afraid or whatever or be optimistic. Uh, everybody has their own way of coping with this. I know our family is pulling together. We're praying together. We've had some already. Uh, two of our kids have lost their jobs, uh, disappeared. So uh, we're pulling in behind them, you know, as families do. And I'm sure your family is doing the same thing, trying to help each other, trying to take care of the, uh, make sure everyone's uh, taken care of and just making the adjustments we need to make. And we'll continue to do that, I'm sure, in the days and weeks ahead. You'll continue to do it. We'll continue. Our family, our community, our neighborhood, uh, we're going next door to find out how the lady next door is feeling. Are you all right? Are you needing help? And so we're trying to take care of each other. And uh, I hope that you're doing the same, finding um, folks in your neighborhood, in your community that you can help and that you can look to for assistance as well. That's that's what we need to do now is pull together as as Americans and particularly and especially as the people of God, pull together with our in our neighborhoods and be a light, uh, be salt and light for our, our community as hey, well. Hey, so so be, this is our chance. Yes, sir. Do you mind if I interject real no quick? No problem, John. Go no, ahead. No, no, it just it kind yeah. of reminds me of, in a way, 9-11 in, in the fact that, yeah. that when tragedies like this happen or things like this happen, emergencies, it really pulls out the, the best. We see the, the best in, in people and people coming together to help other people. And so that's that's the silver lining I'm taking away. Yeah, yeah. In general, John, I think you're right. And and I would say particularly as as God's people, it represents an incredible opportunity because people are being shaken. People are being uh, – have fear. Their families are being affected. They have fear, their health. Uh, even some are worried about even their own physical life and well-being. So this is a great opportunity for us as God's people to show love, to show concern, to demonstrate this love, and to, at the same time, be there and able to to lift up the name of the Lord, pray with people, pray for people. Uh, there, um, You know, this could be... It could be the answer to so many prayers. Over the last decades, we've been praying, God, we need you to help us. We need revival in our country, and maybe this is what it's going to take to turn out to be something that will cause us to turn to the Lord uh, broadly across the culture, across the society. But, of course, uh, it starts one by one. So that's what we want to be doing. Now, I was looking at the passage we have to read tonight. By the way, if you'd like to call in, I'd love to hear from you tonight. You know, we're kind of locked up in our homes and the cars, and we're not we're social distancing from people and so on. Uh, this could be a good chance to sound off and to share a little bit with the, uh, with the family of God across the city. Um, talk to people who know the Lord, love the Lord all across South Texas, in fact. And so if you'd like to call in and share some thoughts, some ideas, some prayers, uh, some concern, um, perspective, I'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 
340-9585. They took the clock down off that wall, didn't they? <laughs> it was an hour, it was an hour off anyway, so it, no, it, 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 just, it just stopped for some Oh, it finally just stopped. Well, it was only right once a day, right? Or twice a day. Twice a day. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. Three four zero nine five eight five. If you'd like to be a part of the Bible Live broadcast, I'd love to hear from you. And by the way, I got a little bit of news for you. We're working very hard each and every day. Uh, we're returning the Bible Live readings, uh, not to the airwaves, not on the radio, but we are putting them on the KSLR podcast, so that you can go to the podcast here uh, at AM six thirty. The Word, AM 630, The Word, and look up the top where it says our podcast. Go down to The Bible Live, and you can, you'll can you be able to hear not only this program, a podcast each week, uh, our program, this 90-minute program where we talk about what we're doing. We're going to be talking about the passages that we read in our Bible reading schedule uh, through uh, year after year after year. So we're, But we are returning our Bible readings, so I, I would... Invite you to join us. Go to um, am630theword.com and then go to the podcast. Go to the Bible Live. Check on the box. It says readings, not the quiz show, but the Bible readings. And uh, uh, we're, we've gotten uh, all of our readings from the past this past year. Uh, they're being put onto the podcast. Uh, I'm not sure how soon they'll be up there, but we've gotten them all edited and ready and delivered. And so hopefully very soon they'll start appearing there that you can, if you'd like, go back even as far as the book of Genesis. We started out in the, in the first of November reading from the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we went to, we, we did Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Then we read Matthew, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Then we read Mark, uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And then we went and got the Gospel of Luke. And now we are in the books of First and Second Samuel. But you'll be able to go back and listen to all of those readings from the scriptures. If you want to hear, just uh, just let me read the Bible to you. Maybe this is a good time. We're at our homes and and uh, we're kind of looking. Well, what could I do? That well, just maybe start this year the first time to listen your way through the entire Bible. You can get a fifteen to twenty minute Bible reading every weekday. Just takes that long. Just um, go find it. Click on it. Uh, turn up the speaker and lean back and just listen to uh, this 15 or 20 minute reading from the scriptures each weekday. And uh, if you do that and we go through the Bible together, you and your family and friends, let them know about the place where they can go and we can read through the Bible together. Then on Sunday nights, we can talk about it, discuss it, you know, call uh, and, and comment on what we've heard and learned or ask questions as well. And then over the year, we will make our way through the entire Bible every year that's that's our plan and we're sticking to it for many years now we've been doing this so to this week this past week we read uh the from the book of first samuel starting at chapter 14 we read through the it finished the book of first samuel and went right on into second samuel uh with the announcement that the david has now at the end of our reading david became the king uh, the new king of Israel. As we started the book of 1 Samuel, though, uh, we learned about this man named Samuel. We ner- learned about where he came from, his mother Hannah, uh, her fa- her husband, uh, how he was um, really a gift from God to them. 
and he was started at a very early age serving Eli the high priest and um, taking care helping to take care of the of the tabernacle there uh, at the end of the time of the judges. This was a very difficult, very complicated, very mixed up time, uh, kind of like the times we're living in today uh, from the book of the judges. And so that's one thing I wanted to comment upon as we're looking at these passages from the Bible. Sometimes sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we think, wow, what, what is that? What is Samuel and Eli and what does Saul being the first king and, and then David and, and the Amalekites and the Philistines and the, these battles they went through and the ups and downs of, of, this, of these experiences, what do they have to do? With us, how can they be of any help to us? For example, during uh, the uh, coronavirus, uh, up uh, you know the coronavirus crisis that we're going through, how how can the Bible help us in any way? And I I, I wanted to comment a little bit on that today because sometimes if we you know if we don't know any better, we think, well, why should I read that old book? If something happened so long ago, why? What difference does it make? And I did want to mention that as you read through the Bible, you'll read about these are stories, uh, particularly the section we're in now. Uh, it's history. It's the stories of individual lives and people and passing from one generation to another to another. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and so we're in a historical section. There's also poetry. There are also instructions and guidance for God's people to for us to know how to how to live, how to treat each other, uh, how to uh, try to be kind and gracious and generous to those outside the faith as well, and try to to be a God's people to them, salt and light, as as the New Testament tells us. Uh, so we we've got these different kinds of of literature preaching. You've got these great messages and sermons by these great prophets of God in difficult times, times of war, times of peace, times of famine, times of plenty, times of uh, plagues and, and illnesses and sicknesses, and then times of, of prosperity as well. All through these times, different times, we see the Bible speaks to all of these different situations and all these different uh, environments that people grow up in. And so we we can take those. But when you read a passage of the Bible, for example, in First Samuel, we've read about uh, Samuel's birth. I mentioned that. He's had an unusual birth coming into the world. He's working now with Eli, uh, the, high, the high priest of that era. And God call, speaks to Samuel. Remember in chapter 3, he speaks to Samuel, and, and Samuel doesn't recognize his voice. He God has to talk to him four times before finally he realizes, uh, I need to just say, Lord, I'm listening. Speak for your servant is listening. And so uh, he had to learn to, to, to listen, hear God's voice and listen and for God to lead him. And so Samuel grew up to be a, a leader in his nation, uh, one to, uh, to whom the people looked for leadership and guidance. So, so we're talking about a national leader here. But uh, like I say, as we read through all these stories about Samuel, about Saul, about the Philistines, the ark gets captured, the Ark of the Covenant is taken over into Philistia, into Ashdod, one of the five great cities of the Philistines. Uh, then it gets it gets rescued. You know, the people run into ser- terrible illnesses and sicknesses because of the, the Ark of the Covenant in their presence and so on. And so uh, we're reading these stories. So what does it happen? There's, let me tell you this. At least three, maybe even four levels that you need to 
as we read through the Bible, as you're reading your Bible, first there's the story itself. There's just the the story on, on its first level, the individual level. If you're reading about Samuel, you're reading about uh, Saul, the first king of Israel, how he was a shy individual and so on. Uh, you get a sense of the character of that individual, who, what, when, where, how, and why, what happens in this situation, and, and particularly as they, in their particular relationship with God, as they respond to him, as they trust God or disobey God or not trust God, and the consequences in their lives. So we can learn on that level uh, as we read the Bible. Uh, but then also you can read, we're reading about a people, in most of these cases, we're, we're talking about this people group. Uh, we know them as, as Israel. Later, known, later we come to know them as Judah. They're called by different names, the people of Israel. Uh, there is a level to which God is speaking and dealing with them, particularly those who believe God, those who trust God in the nation of Israel. Not everybody did. Uh, not everybody in the nation is a believer. Not everybody was serious about following God. But so God is dealing with them because God had made a covenant with that people to bless them, to preserve them, and to use them as a light of revelation of himself to all the nations of the world. So we we see God working with them as a people group and the influence that they can have in their generation. Uh, Here we see them dealing with the Philistines. We see them dealing with the Amalekites. We see them dealing with the Ammonites under the, in the reign of uh, Saul, all of these situations. And, and God is just, he loves them just as much as he loves anyone else, all the people of Israel. God is dealing, you have to realize and remember that God is always calling out to everyone, everywhere, every nation, every people group. And so God is, and, and often you'll see, uh, for example, um, uh, we see God in, in these situations at times using the king, uses King David and others to reach uh, people groups around him. At times, these other people groups, these other nations around Israel, although principally, mainly in the main, they are idolatrous, following off the, after false gods. They were uh, evil, immoral, wicked, corrupt uh, in, in many ways, not having followed after God. But that doesn't mean every individual. There are people who have contact with the people of Israel who who look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, and they, they're seeking after the true and living God. So God is there in every dealing with, with all the people around them as well. This, these stories always have a setting, and people can always come to God, whether they're part of uh, Israel, the nation of Israel here or not. And so, you know, in other words, just to, to see what God is doing. That's the way to read your Bible. In the, in the life of the individuals involved, in, in the context of what he's doing with the people of Israel in that moment, and maybe with other countries in that moment, what he's doing in there, with them and in them and through them. And always remember that God is also carrying out a, not only a purpose of revelation through the people of Israel, but he has covenanted with them to use them to bring the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer into the world. And so... Uh, Part of the story too, as we see, as we go through the books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, the times of the kings and the, the judges, and all these different eras and times, is keeping an eye out that remembering that part of this too is that God is molding and shaping this particular people group over the decades, over the centuries. In fact, 
to bring them uh, to to bring the Messiah through the people of Israel. Now, uh, just to illustrate that, it was uh, about fourteen hundred and fifty years, give or take fourteen hundred and forty six years, before Christ that uh, Moses brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then they were 40 years in the wilderness. Then Joshua took them into Canaan. They were about 25 or 30 years uh, of warfare as they got settled into the land of Canaan, uh, the promised land. Uh, And the land was allotted to each of the tribes. Then they went through about a 350-year period with the judges under these these 12 men and women in the book of the Judges where God uses and raises them up. These are ups and downs in the, uh, and, and mainly just a time of chaos and so on. But again, we're tracking this people group that God has covenanted and determined to use to keep a witness of himself in the world, but also through them, through their lineage, to bring about the Messiah. So you'll see often that, that they're, they're, the enemy, we see an effort to cut off this lineage cut off and end the people of Israel and destroy them because that would destroy the, the redemptive plan of God. But God preserves them. So you get through the time of the judges, uh, that little book of Ruth that we looked at is a kind of a bright spot in that time. But then we come now to the time of the kings. We're transitioning from uh, from the priest to the prophets, and we're transitioning to uh, the king instead of the judges we'll have a uh, the people let they let God know and they let Samuel know that we want a king like all the people around us uh, and sometimes I think maybe the reason they wanted a king was because of the failure of the spiritual leadership uh, the, the Eli w- w- was not a very good high priest he was a good man himself it seems but his children didn't follow after the Lord. Even great Samuel, the great prophet Samuel, was a, a faithful and loyal and good prophet himself from his childhood. But his children didn't follow after the Lord. They were greedy and they, 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 they were after money most of all, and so they were corrupt in their ministry. So uh, anyway, they they asked for a king, and that's part of what we're looking at now in the books of First and Second Samuel. Samuel is going to move the people of Israel from the time of the judges. Now into the time of the kings. The first king, uh, as we've already met him, uh, after we got introduced to Samuel here in the opening chapters, uh, we met Saul. Uh, He uh, meets Saul in chapter 9 of the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, Saul is out. He's the son of a wealthy man from the tribe of Benjamin. And what do you remember about the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that that Saul is a member of? Anybody remember that? What happened? Uh, remember that the tribe of Benjamin was almost destroyed, almost entirely wiped out uh, during the latter time of the uh, judges because of that. Remember that scandal of the uh, concubine of the the um, Levite concubine that was murdered, and and in uh, he cut her body up into pieces and sent it all around the country to to give a warning and alert people that a great crime had been taking place. And so all the tribes of Israel ganged up on the tribe of Benjamin and um, just almost destroyed the tribe of Benjamin entirely. They they, They even had to make a special effort to provide wives for the men so that the tribe could even continue to uh, people itself. And so that's the tribe that the first uh, king of Israel is um, anointed 
Samuel is led by the Lord to anoint Saul to be the first king of Israel. Uh, you see that in, uh, well, I think he anointed him somewhere in chapter um, um, chapter 9 or 10. Yeah, chapter 10, Samuel anoints Saul to be king. Uh, and he, and he, um, so they get off to a start. Samuel, so you can check out the, light, the character of Saul. He's a shy person. He's a tall, good-looking guy, but he's very underconfident. And, and he doesn't really catch, he doesn't really capture and trust in the plan of God. He doesn't understand the role of God in the nation with the people of Israel. Uh, he, he seems to have some understanding of God and, and some personal uh, desire to walk with God and obey God, but he doesn't understand in any deep personal sense the calling of God's people, what God has called the people of God, what the people of Israel to be, and he and so he doesn't in that role as king. Then he doesn't take the lead in obeying God, trusting God, obeying God, and leading out, and it causes him to disobey God in some very clear ways. Now, again, our phone number is two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you'd like to give a call, I'd love to hear from you. And we, we're talking about the book of First and Second Samuel here, but uh, and we'll be talking about Samuel and then and, and Saul, and then we'll talk about how Saul fails and the ups and downs of his life and of his time in. Uh, he reigns over Israel for forty years, uh, about forty-two years actually. Uh, very up and down experience. Uh, and then. He his three he and his three sons are all killed in a great battle with the Philistines, and um, but David has already been already been anointed by King uh, by Samuel. I'm sorry to be the king of Israel uh, instead of Saul. So uh, then we go through all those weeks and all those uh, chapters of the Bible, all those years when uh, Saul tries to destroy David. He first he he uh, drafts him into his military because of his skill as a musician, and and uh, he drafts him into his military. Maybe he's trying to keep uh, his enemy close or something. But then he starts to really pursue and persecute David because he feels jealous of David. He feels threatened because David uh, has the favor of the people and understands that David is in line to become the next king. Now, Saul wants his son Jonathan to be king, but Jonathan strikes up this unlikely friendship with uh, his, I guess, his competitor for the throne after his father Saul. So it's an amazing situation. It's just the ins and outs and ups and downs, but it's the way life is, right, folks? That's the way it happens. It comes at us that way, and we have to make our decisions for God, for the good or for the bad, in the midst of those situations. And that, that's what we're challenged to do even today. Well, there's our music. We've got to take time out. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes after a few messages from our sponsors and supporters. And we'll come back and continue our way through the book of First and Second Samuel. We're coming up now on how does David come to be king. We're going to talk about his experience with his family and then also about this man named Goliath. Don't go away. 210-340-9585. That's our phone number. We'll be right back. Every night. 
You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. I know it's all you've got to just be strong. And it's a fight just to keep it together. Together. I know you think that you are too far gone But hope is never lost Hope is never lost Hold on, don't let go Is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar? I know your heart is heavy from those nights. It's just remember you are you indeed. Are You're going to be okay. Good word for us tonight. Thanks, John. That was a good selection. You're going to be okay, folks. We're going to be okay. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep serving Him, loving Him, loving those around us. And we're going to see God do a great thing. This may be uh, our, a great moment of opportunity for us as the people of God to sh- let our light shine, to love others, to care for others, to help folks who are uh, afraid, a lot of fear for their health, for their finances, for their family members. Let's stand in the gap. Let's be the people of God in this moment. That's what we're looking at. As we look at the, uh, I was just talking about the book of First and Second Samuel, as we read through these books of history uh, in the Bible, we want to look at the individual lives, the individual lessons that are being taught about how to live. And one of the things that we're focused on to, in the book of uh, Samuel, there's a very, very important lesson given to us uh, from the life of from the life of King Saul, and that Saul is, he understands something of God. He There is something about him. I, I've always been confused about Saul. I, I, he's always, I've always felt some sympathy toward him, in fact, as I was growing up. It, it seems like in a way he, he's kind of shy, he's underconfident. And yet, you know, he put this this great load on him to try to be the the leader of the the, the nation, and, and uh, I mean, of course, it's like trying to herd cats. Evidently, being the leader of the people of Israel was very difficult. Each of their tribes had their own uh, culture, their own experience, their own leaders, and there was a lot of competition. It's kind of like 
the states of Texas and Oklahoma and so on to be the president of all the states is kind of difficult. Uh, some states are more, some of the tribes are more friendly and more open toward him than others and so on. But I've always felt sympathy toward him. And yet what seemed to be the, the difficulty is he just didn't quite understand the unique calling of God for the nation of Israel. He didn't understand how important it was that the people of Israel follow after God, that they obey God, that they serve God, that they worship God. And and that meant him setting an example himself as a leader. And one of the lessons, I think, one of the first most important lessons in chapter 15 of the book of 1 Samuel he is told by Samuel himself, the prophet of God, to to go and wait on him, uh, because he will come then to to offer give the offering and and to uh, begin to to have the the battle with the Amalekites, and it said the, he showed up for the battle, and Saul is there waiting with his army. But Samuel doesn't show up. Samuel delays. He doesn't come, and he doesn't come. So finally, um, Saul's some of the people in his military start kind of going away. They leave and start going back home, and uh, and so he loses his patience, and he goes ahead and and offers the sacrifice himself, uh, and which of course when Samuel gets there, he says, you know. Uh, a key verse is chapter 15, I, be, I think it's verse 20. Uh, yeah. He said, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your your God, he says, in Gilgal. Uh, but Samuel replied, but Samuel said, I told you, you were to destroy everyone, including King Agag. And as we've learned from past chapters and past readings, this same Agag here is the one who turns out to to be a tremendous thorn in the side of Israel, not only right now in this particular generation, but his, his successors uh, down the line, those who come after him, uh, persecuted and oppressed Israel for centuries later. Uh, even, even up into the, 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 the 20th century, back into the times of World War II uh, and so on, we see the, the effects of the, the, the uh, descendants of this King Agag. Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing to see, but God said, to, told him he was to obey him and to destroy them, that nation. It was, it was a, God was using them as an instrument of, of judgment on the people, uh, the Amalekites there. And so, but he disobeyed. And then he told him, don't take any of the, the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the plunder to destroy it all. And But he didn't obey him there. But he gives an excuse. He says, I, I, you know, yeah, I only kept the best up because we were going to sacrifice it to you, to, to your God in Gilgal. And listen to what Samuel says. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. 
Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. What an important lesson for us that uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of us in in our American culture, we're, we're like King Saul. I mean, we... We've been raised up in a in a culture where God is honored. We know the Bible. We heard the message of the gospel, uh, and and uh, and there's kind of a token, kind of a tipping of the hat to religion and religiosity, but but there's not any deep commitment to obeying God, to pleasing God, to seeking God in our lives, to honor Him in the way we perform, uh, the way we live our lives. And just exactly as Samuel told Saul, now it's more important, more important than religious ritual and ceremony. It doesn't matter, you know, how many church rolls you got your name on, and and uh, that your membership is there, and and maybe you even attend. Uh, who knows? Maybe even very often. But it, the question is, which is more important to God? Religious ritual and ceremony, you know, just kind of going through the motions and. On that aspect, or obedience, and God makes it clear here to Samuel that I mean to Saul that the it is more important to obey God than to just religious ritual and ceremony, uh, just going through the motions. And it's it's a fine point sometimes, and it doesn't mean that worshiping God and going to church and and doing the right things in that sense. It doesn't mean that those are necessarily a bad thing, but the motivation. It goes down to our heart motivation is our real desire to know God, love God, serve God, honor God, and uh, and in order to do that, to obey God. That is something I think maybe right now in this particular time of crisis in our nation, maybe that's something that's going to become more and more important to us as a people, uh, as a nation, maybe to our leaders, maybe to our president and others. Uh, we will move away from the kind of performance and, and you know kind of religiosity and positional sort of thing then to sincere humility and brokenness before God and a, a uh, and a desire to serve him and and to love others as well as we love the Lord as well as we love ourselves so that's one great lesson we get from the from Samuel that he gives to this man named Saul Saul gives it his best shot but he's trying to do things Right in his own strength, in his own uh, uh, kind of human strength and power, and, and what what God looks for us is uh, supernatural responses, and a supernatural response is to trust and obey God. You know, it, it, it's not supernatural for us to be selfless. It's not. I'm sorry. It's not natural for us to be selfless, for us to be generous, to give to our neighbors, and to even to those who maybe uh, that we don't like us or whatever. But but the supernatural reaction is to love our our neighbors, even to love our enemies. God's word says so. We're to love others and care about others because God is pouring His love and His security into our lives. We can afford. Uh, in our bank of love, we have enough on our account coming from the Lord that we can pour out our lives in benefit of others as well. So that's one of the great lessons of the book of uh, Samuel, uh, particularly in the life of Saul. Um, he, Samuel actually is the one who ultimately finally kills the king Agag of the Philistines. Um, but then Sam, Samuel is led to anoint a young man from the family of Jesse, 
we're familiar with this family already because in the book of Ruth, Ruth was the great-great-great-grandmother <laughs> of this particular family. And so Samuel is led by God to the family of a man named Jesse, who has eight children, eight sons, and uh, he is told to go there to find the, the next king of Israel. And he meets all seven of the sons of the older sons of Jesse, and they're fine family. And they're they're three of them are already serving in the military. Um, they're a wonderful family. But he he is led to. He said, "Don't you have another son?" He said, "Well, I do have one other, our youngest son, but he, he's out in the pasture tending the sheep. Uh, he's a shepherd boy, and and uh, and so he brought he brought David in from the fields." And Samuel recognized that this is the one that God told him, this is the one that's going to be the next king of Israel after Saul. So he anoints King, he anoints David there before his family in a private ceremony. He anoints him to be the king of Israel. How many years does David have to wait before he becomes king, actually, over Israel? Twenty-five long years. Can you imagine? He—it's kind of like, kind of like Moses, uh, not Moses, Abraham, when he said, "You're going to have a son, Moses, uh, Abraham. I'm going to give you a son." And Abraham said, "Oh man, but we're already old, my wife and I." And how many years did uh, Abraham have to wait for Isaac to be born? Twenty-five years. It, see, so it, sometimes we have it takes. It takes waiting on the Lord. We have to wait on the Lord at times. And, of course, that's what David had to do, just be faithful to wait his moment. He had several opportunities to kill Saul, even though he knew he had been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Uh, he, he gets drafted into Saul's uh, military, and so he's given a place of service. He plays the instrument, the uh, uh, harp, I guess it is, and sings, I, I suppose. He is a poet, at least. And uh, he calms Saul's nerves. Psalms evidently, uh, Saul evidently has some uh, nervous uh, problems, some depression or whatever. And so it often David is used to calm his nerves and to calm him. But, but then he becomes a close friend with, with uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. Uh, they have a wonderful friendship between the two of them, and it, it, it's um, it's a it's a, a a wonderful thing to see as well the friendship between those. We can learn a little bit more about friendship uh, with David and Jonathan. Jonathan is a brave, courageous young man. He is a hero in several opportunities. We see him at one battle. In fact, he uh, he and his uh, um, what do you call it? The one who keeps his uh, Ah, shield, his shield bearer, his shield bearer, and he went out and they had fought a great battle, uh, and were used of the Lord to give them a victory, a great victory. Then, uh, oh, oh, there's just just the excitement of these chapters, of the different things that happen. Uh, Saul makes a rash vow that anything, anybody who eats anything on that uh, on that day, here they are in the middle of the of a battle. With the Philistines, and he and he forbids his troops to eat. He calls them to fast, just when they need their strength more than ever for the battle. And um, Jonathan uh, wins this great victory, a great, very courageously confronts the enemy. And then uh, after the battle, he didn't know about this uh, command that Saul, his father, had given. So he 
eats a little bit of, of honey to get a little bit of uh, strength after the battle, and then and then Saul actually is going to go as far as to kill him because of his eating that little bit of honey. That's in chapter 14 we read about. That's what we started off reading this past week in our reading schedule. And, but the people jump in and save him and say, no, you can't, you can't kill him. He won this great victory for us. And so by po- popular demand, the people actually saved Jonathan's life. Um, well, as they go on, the son of Jesse, David, is finally anointed by Samuel to be the next king. Um, he gets drafted. He serves under uh, Saul in Saul's palace. Uh, he is given one of... Uh, he wins actually in battle. One of uh, he defeats he defeats the the uh, giant Goliath, as we all are familiar with that story. And then he's taken into uh, Saul's service. He uh, wins the opportunity to marry uh, Saul's daughter by a great um, battle in chapter eighteen. He kills a hundred Philistines, <laughs> so he marries. He, excuse me, he marries uh, Saul's daughter, which seems like it started off well and could have been all right. Uh, and also, along with his daughter, he won tax-exempt status for his family. That's pretty interesting to us. Here we are coming up on tax time. That would be very interesting to, the, okay, you, you, can, you can be tax-exempt for the rest of your life, if whoever, whoever does this particular task. And uh, David won that in battle. And so just ups and downs, these amazing situations, these difficult situations. David uh, is, is very courageous. He kills a lion and a bear as he guards uh, his uh, sheep, and he uses that to give him confidence when he faces Goliath, the giant, uh, with the Philistines. Um, anyway, you can just see the molding of their lives. Saul and David are sort of, uh, they are kind of faithfully put together because God is is going to be moving David into the kingship after Saul. And so um, they have this love-hate relationship. There's a certain amount of admiration. David and Jonathan, Saul's son Jonathan, become great friends. Uh, They take even a vow of friendship in which David promises that if Jonathan died, David would take care of his family in chapter 20. So we... uh, it's just an amazing period of time, and, and I guess the reason I, I keep saying that is because we now, uh, here in our country, we are actually living through some amazing times as well. We've got this guy in the White House that is not a politician. He never was a politician, and and he's kind of back and forth, up and down and around. He, see, I think personally, he seems to have done the right, made good decisions and right decisions for us as a nation and our, and our economy and so on. And, and God seems to be at work even in his life. Um, there's some evidence and some information that comes down the pike from uh, trusted believers and leadership, leaders in the Christian world that say, you know, God, you know, this president is, uh, Trump is sensitive to the things of God, and he's growing, and he's uh, deepened in his walk with God. And uh of course, we all know his background. We all know that it's not perfect and it's mixed up and messed up. And uh, but we can trust and pray 
that God will be at work in his life. But what I'm trying to say is the same God that worked in the lives of David and Goliath and the time in the time of Saul and Samuel, that same God is in in controlling and, and reigning over the affairs of men and nations today. And, and we can with those same interests involved. Remember what I talked about before? Individual lives, the the life of the nation, that the the, the, the na- this nation uh, was birthed out of spiritual revival and awakening, birth out of the, the scriptures uh, and uh, the longing for, for religious freedom. And, and uh, this nation, our nation, has seen some great revivals over our 200-plus years of existence. And so maybe God is using this moment as to bring about a great spiritual awakening, a great spiritual upheaval that will that will change in, in our nation and, and our world. God is at work, and you can know that in the same way that he was at work in the time of David uh, and Saul and Samuel in this era. In those same ways, there's the personal lives, then there's a national life, and then there's a worldwide impact. God is still always interested in the world. He's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So what could God be doing right now in this moment through this this coronavirus uh, with people in uh, Italy and people in Europe and people coming out of China? Uh, what could what amazing thing might God be doing in this moment to to draw men and women to himself? Uh, and we have to know that God is there and that is on his mind. The harvest is God's great, great priority. And if we align ourselves as the people of God, as a nation, if we align ourselves with the purposes of God himself, to please him, to honor him, to worship him, and to serve the purposes of God, to bring the light of the gospel and hope and freedom to men and women around the world through the power of the gospel, God is going to honor that. And he has honored it, and he has blessed this nation because of it. Uh, but now we, we've been on the track for a good long while now, walking away from that legacy of faith and trust and obedience to God. And so who knows? Maybe God in his grace and mercy is allowing this so that to help us turn around, to get us to turn around and get serious again as a nation about following God and honoring God and worshiping the true and living God. Uh, it's it's uh, definitely, without a doubt, on his mind. That's one of the lessons we learn from the scriptures. Well, let's go ahead now and look uh, uh, for, further. Uh, what we see happen now, and we get on from chapter 14, 15, um, we, we see that Jonathan's courage in uh, chapter 14, that, that battle that he fights on behalf of, of uh, the nation, and his father's foolish oath that they can't they have to fast they can't even have a little bit of honey to get energy and the people saved Jonathan's uh life there is a little detail that i think is worth mentioning it mentioned in chapter 13 toward the end of that chapter that um there were no blacksmiths in the land they were being when they were oppressed and punished they were not able to have steel and metal they could only Fight when they went to out to battle with the Philistines or the Amalekites in this case, I think it was only uh, only Jonathan and Saul were the only two who who actually had a sword and spear. Uh, they were they were oppressed so much that they had to use axes and sickles and ox goads and uh, plowshares from the farming implements in their battles, uh, which is 
a rather interesting. It, it just, I guess, it goes to show how how important it is to stay ahead of things in the in the in the um, the war for arms or you know, the arms war. We have to keep ahead technologically. Uh, it gives an importance how important that was even in biblical times uh, to be able to have the right weapons to be able to win those battles and defend their nation. Um, well, in chapter 16, David is anointed. Chapter 17, we see Goliath and David uh, saves the nation by defeating Goliath. And there is a detail in that chapter 17 that's interesting. Uh, the, the sword that David uses to kill Goliath is taken and given to, uh, evidently it's surrendered to the priest. And later on, you'll see that David actually is given return that sword. He uses it to save his life in a given situation. Uh, later on, I believe it's in uh, a later chapter. What is it? Chapter when when uh, Saul is overseeing the slaughter of the priests in chapter 22, he goes and asks for a uh, for bread and for an arm, and they they say we don't have any armament here. The only weapon we have is this this sword that that you took from Goliath. And so that sword comes back into the picture. And also, uh, it says that he takes Goliath's head to uh, Jerusalem. He said, David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. And later on, we see, uh, remember the mount that where Jesus was crucified was called Golgotha, meaning the, the place of the skull. Traditionally, where Goliath's skull was buried, there where David's uh, descendant, years and centuries later, the, the Messiah himself would be crucified on that hill where David buried the head of Goliath. Very, very interesting, tiny little details that are so beautiful about the scriptures. Well, there's our music. We've got one more segment to go. I'd invite your phone calls if you'd like to comment, talk about the days we're living in today. Uh, any of the lessons that the scripture brings to us as God's people living in the time of the coronavirus. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy Dollar.
We can take that hope. I like those songs, John. Those are great choices for the night. Here we are in the middle of a battle, folks, with a virus, uh, with all the other complexities of life as well. The political world is still pretty confused and messed up, and uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, and the and then you got the North Korea, and you got the Iran, the folks from Iran. Boy, they're going through some real trouble with this virus, by the way. This thing is just upsetting the whole apple cart. We had our world down to a nice, manageable chaos. But now it's <laughs> all of a sudden it's not manageable anymore. Everything is messed up and mixed up. Uh, but God is in charge. And, folks, I, it is true that uh, he has a plan. He's, if we believe the Bible, we believe that the God of the Bible is at work He's doing what he said he would do all, all the way through the scriptures, what he revealed that he was doing. He's working, calling individual men and women to Christ. He's calling countries and nations and people groups. And he's using us together uh, as, as uh, the people of God around the world to, to turn the eyes and ears of men and women to the gospel. I tell you, there, there's just really no limit as to what could come out of this. It really is amazing, John, when you think about it. It it's um i mean really who knows but that our brothers and sisters in christ you know there are millions of believers in china followers of jesus christ and they have to exercise in secret they have to worship in secret often uh, many times but they who who knows? Maybe God is using in some strange way something so unusual and out of the ordinary is going to happen that that the uh, the people of God in that land will rise up and be an influence and cause something. You know, it's just there's just no limit to really what God could be doing in this time in these moments, and that we see clearly in the scriptures. We see things coming out. Remember out of the book of the Judges how chaotic and how terrible things were? And, and and all of a sudden there was this Ruth, and there was this wonderful little family that God uses them. And now he's bringing, he brought them through the time of Samuel. Samuel gets raised up as a leader for the nation. Um, little little kid that, you know, couldn't mom couldn't have a child. And, and I don't know, he starts being a servant to the priest when he's, you know, just weeks or months old or years old in the Lord. Um, and then God uses him to bring about, to minister to the nation and brings the first King Saul and, and then ushers King Saul out. And here comes David. Uh, now what we have to realize, these people don't know it. As we read through the book of First Samuel, you're reading about um, you know, David and Saul and all of the the ups and downs and the difficulties Saul is persecuting and pursuing David, trying to uh, kill him or, or cut off his lineage so that his son Jonathan can become king. Um, David even has to go so far, and he he flees from Saul uh, down into the desert. He lives in some caves caves down in the southern end of the uh, of the um, Dead Sea. In, in fact, is we read from Psalm. Uh, in our Bible readings this past week, in our reading schedule, um, both Psalm 56 and 57 came from the experiences of David while he was living uh, and, and fleeing from uh, King Saul. Uh, there was a time when David was living among an enemy people. He was living among the Philistines. These are these. This is a nation, a people group. They they came over to uh, to the um 
to Israel from across the Mediterranean Sea. They're very warlike people coming down from the the other end of the Mediterranean, basically, down toward Italy. They came and um, and settled into Israel and very warlike enemy people. And David even goes and lives among them as he flees from Saul. And he becomes a good he becomes a, a friend, a trusted friend to King Achish of the Philistines. And but he won't he won't fight against he he avoids uh, fighting against his own people. He won't do that. But he has many of his followers that come with him, his uh, men of, of war and so on that came in and went with him. They went and served under the Philistines for a good for a good while. Uh, and, and in fact, there's even we we read the story of to get away from them in the book of First Samuel. When it comes time to separate himself from them, what happens is the Philistines go to go to battle with the with the is, people of Israel with Saul and his forces. And David doesn't want to go, and the uh, the other military officers with the Philistines they didn't trust David either, and they complained to King Achish that they didn't think he would fight with them, that he would turn on them, and so uh, so David gets left behind. And ultimately, though, David has to pretend insanity to escape from them, and that's basically what Psalm fifty six is about. Uh, it was written while David was living among the Philistines as he was fleeing from Saul, and uh, he had to pretend that he was insane to save his own life and to get be able to get separated from the Philistines. And then uh, we also see in chapter 57, Psalm 57, that uh, it talks about how David escaped from King Saul by hiding in a cave down at the uh, southern end of the Dead Sea. And so uh, th- that's all these things we read about. David has a couple of opportunities. One of them was while he was hiding in that cave. Um, Dave, Saul went into one of the caves to relieve himself, uh, to go to the bathroom, and, and he didn't happen, didn't know, but it was the cave, cave that David was hiding in. And David had the uh, opportunity, if he had wanted to, to kill him. But he would not do that. He would not... Uh, and, and this came from da- David's deep respect for God. And he knew that God, Saul was the anointed king of Israel. He was anointed by God himself. And that it was up to God to remove him, not David. That, one, uh, that really is an astounding thought, really. Uh, he would not, this man was pursuing him and trying to kill him, uh, and yet David would not touch God's anointed. That was the level of his faith. There was something about his faith and his trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that caused David to know that, no, I'm going to trust in God. God says he's going to make me king. Well, then God's going to have to do it. I'm not going to do it on my own. Boy, that's a great lesson for us as well. Uh, Have you ever wanted something and you feel like that you're called to something and that, that you ought to be doing something, and yet you're tempted to try to get it in your own power. You're, tra- you're tempted to try to manipulate and, and smooth over the situation and use people and, and abuse people maybe even sometimes to get what you think is the right thing. But instead of waiting on getting, David knew that he was to be the next king. Uh, and so I guess he could have rationalized and said, hey, I, this is it. You know, God's put him in my hand to kill him, and now I can be king. But he knew 
he just knew that that, that is not he's not to touch the God's anointed. God would make him king when God desired in God's way. So it's not just about getting what God's want, but doing things in God's way. That is so very, very important. That's an important lesson for all of us. David, as I said before, he had to wait and endure 25 years from the time he was anointed to the time he became king of Israel, uh, knowing that God had promised it and would do it and having chances to make it happen himself in his own strength. But that's part of what led to Saul's downfall. Saul didn't trust God. He he didn't recognize and understand that that he was an instrument that God was using uh, in, instead of him taking in the flesh, taking over things and trying to do things in his own strength, in his own power, in his own understanding. That was the difference between Saul and David. David knew God, loved God, honored God, and determined to obey God and let God do what God wanted him to do, but do it God's way, which is a very, very important lesson for us as well, uh, even in these days and times in which we live. So uh, we see that happen, that take place, uh, all of these adventures of Jonathan and so on. And then uh, finally we, we see that Saul and his sons die. In the last book, chapter of 1 Samuel, we see the death of of Saul, and even then we get an opportunity to see David's. Somehow, in all of this, there was this mourning. There was this. Uh, there was this weeping on behalf of Saul, and particularly, of course, his his friend Jonathan. Uh, his sons were, were killed. His three sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and uh, Malachishua, they were all killed on the same day uh, in the battle with the Philistines. And uh, another fellow, uh, David, was killed um, on on Mount. I've forgotten the name of the Mount. I'll think of it in a moment. It'll come to me. But he was killed on this Mount during the battle. And another fellow came and brought him. The We'll see in the, in the book of Second Samuel. We, we started reading in Second Samuel uh, uh, this past week. Just on Friday, we read just the first couple of chapters. Uh, in the book of Second Samuel, this fellow brings to uh, an Amalekite brings uh, day, uh, Saul's, uh, I think his arm bracelet or a couple of, of things from from his personal possessions. It says that he saw uh, he saw Saul being killed and so on. And David asked how it happened, and and he this fellow probably thinks that David is going to reward him. Um, for doing this, but he he tells the story that uh, Saul tells him to come over and kill him. Um, that Saul asked him to kill him, that he was wounded. Um, but but uh, we're not sure. Uh, that is true. I mean, we, we, I, I, in fact, I'm not quite sure that's true. We'll have to look in, in 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 31 and 2 Samuel chapter 1. But he thinks that David's going to reward him for killing Saul. Uh, and David, in fact, turns and says, you know, you you need to be executed because you, you yourself confess that you killed the Lord's anointed one, the king of Israel. 
And uh, there, <laughs> there was a very unexpected reaction and response from David. Uh, very, very unusual. But you see the difference in David. We're told that David is a man after God's heart. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize because David is just a man and he did mess up himself. He had some very, well, we know some very pronounced, very big mistakes that he made in his life. And we'll talk about those as we move on into Second Samuel. Uh, so David made some big mistakes. It's not like he's perfect or anything, but he had this fundamental basic desire to know God, love God, serve God, honor God, and worship God, and and honor God with his life. So uh, that was there, and it was real, even though he made mistakes and he fell into temptation and sin, but the, but the fundamental desire was there, and, and he was willing to say, I'm sorry. He was willing to ask forgiveness. Uh, whereas Saul made excuses and and didn't quite understand the holiness of God and and, and that God desired his obedience. Uh, it's it's very it's a very interesting personality contrast. If you want to study the life of uh, study the life of Saul and then study what are the characteristics in his life, Saul had some interesting things going for him. He was tall, he was good-looking, and so on. He, he he seemed to lack a lot of self-confidence, but over time he seems to have gotten used to the idea of of handling power and, and so on. But he just never understood God. He never understood righteousness, and he never seemed to understand what God was doing uh, with the people of Israel. He didn't understand that covenant relationship, and therefore he didn't feed into it. He didn't try to to encourage the people to follow after God and worship God and, and serve God uh, as David, as later on when you'll see King David, and you'll see that he does that. And in fact, I was going to say a while ago, one of the things we don't say, don't see in this moment, here here is a a decade or two of turmoil and conflict in David's life. Nothing seems to be going right. Uh, King Saul is trying to kill him. He has to go and fight and, and join uh, with an enemy nation and fight with them uh, to find to kind of get rescued from even King Saul. Uh, um, he has this one incident. Do you remember when uh, he was sent back not to fight against the people of Israel? Uh, he was sent back to to um, his uh, the town where he kind of holed up where he had his people and the Amalekites had come and they had stolen uh, they had stolen uh, they had kidnapped family members and they took uh, you know a lot of their possessions and David went after them with two hundred of his men and uh, chased after them to rescue them he took four hundred men I'm sorry. Uh, 400 men to fight the, to chase them down uh, to with the Amalekites to chase uh, to fight the Amalekites and so he left 200 of his exhausted soldiers guarding their supplies so he took 400 men but only uh, after a while 200 of them were exhausted so he left them and, and guarding their supplies and their equipment while with the 200 he could he could pursue 
the Amalekites faster and more effectively, and and he caught them, and in that battle he defeated them and rescued his family, by the way, uh, including his two wives, uh, uh, Michal and Abigail. He rescues his family and uh, their sons, and he rescued the. And when they're coming back, they come to the two hundred men that he left behind. Uh, this is found in chapter thirty of First Samuel. They come back, and they rescue. Uh, they they come back. They've rescued. They brought back all of the loot, all of the things they got from the battle with the Amalekites, and their rescued family members. And the people that he's with that fought the battle said, "Well, these two hundred guys didn't go with us. They were here, so they shouldn't get any of the." the spoils of battle. And David said, no, 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 it's, it we can't be that way. We have to be generous. The, what they did was important, that they watched uh, the supplies and they held down the fort for us so that we could go forward and fight the battle. And we see there in chapter 30, verses 23 through 25, that he established not only in that day a practice that the the loot, the booty that they, the spoils of war would be, would be shared equally between those who went out to battle and those who held down the fort, those who uh, guarded the supplies and kept the supply chain, and that was a yeah, that was a policy, a battle policy that David uh, initiated, and it became a, a standing practice for their military, uh, which which is which is interesting. These are. It's an interesting detail in the middle of all of this uh, this turmoil. Oh, and I did just mention the idea that the two wives David has here. Remember, he won the right to marry Saul's daughter, Michal, and or Michal or Michelle. I'm not quite sure how you would say her name, but he won the right to marry her uh, in battle. And then he had a, uh, you know, they have a falling out, a, a bit of a falling out. But then later on, we'll, t- we'll talk about that. But then when he takes the uh, Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, uh, they have their, their relationships kind of goes south. But remember this, the, this woman named Abigail. Uh, is, she's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, this woman. She's very, very interesting uh, that David meets her uh, as he's fleeing from Saul, uh, he's fleeing around uh, the the countryside, around the nation of that time, and he comes into contact with this fellow named um, uh, Nabal, uh, whose name actually means fool. And uh, Abigail, uh, he does some very foolish thing. David appeals for food and supplies in exchange for him keeping uh, uh, Nabal's herdsmen and his herds safe. And so on, and he and he turns him down. He insults him, and and so uh, Abigail though acts to save her husband's life after he, after Nabal had rejected David's appeal for food and supplies. Uh, Abigail acts and takes food out to them and apologizes and so on. Uh, Nabal has a stroke and dies ten days after his wife has saved his life. Uh, and then uh, David ends up marrying Abigail, uh, Nabal's wife. I, and I, I always liked her. I always wish, I, I, I kind of wish I could have met her and known her. She seemed to be very wise, level head on her shoulders. She was not immoral. She she stood up for her husband and spoke for her husband to, in her wisdom to, to kind of keep him safe. 
and to take care of his well-being. She was uh, quite a gal. But anyway, those two wives get taken uh, by from the city of Ziklag in in chapter uh, 30. They get taken hostage, and um, so David has to go rescue them with these 400 men, and they they have this this policy then of sharing the spoils of war with those who stay behind, who guard the supplies and hold down the fort, as well as those who go out to battle. And then following that, we come to the last chapters of 1 Samuel, where they go to battle with the Philistines, and King Saul is wounded by archers, and uh, his armor-bearer is asked to, uh, he's asked his armor-bearer to kill him and so on. and the Malachite men, as we already mentioned, in, in, the book flows from 1 Samuel right on into 2 Samuel. As I think I've mentioned before, these two books were at one time all together, um, uh, Samuel. Uh, and later on, Kings, too, the, the books of the Kings as well. But So that one flowed right on into the other. And we see it moved from the death of King Saul in the last chapter, 31, and his three sons, including Jonathan. And then David is brought the news of his death in chapter 1 of Second uh, Samuel. And he writes this song of mourning and, and, and of, of grief for uh, Saul and his friend Jonathan. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. And so he writes to, about them. It, it, it's so interesting that here's this guy. He is pursued by Saul all those years. He knew Saul intimately and well. In fact, Saul even admired David. They they knew about each other. It was the strangest of relationships. Saul knew that David was the choice, God's choice to be the king. He was the choice of the people to be the king. And yet there was this jealousy and there was this desire for his son Jonathan to be the king. And so he didn't want to give in to that. Uh, it, it was just a very complicated, complex uh, series of events, of complex relationship, and yet God honored David's faith and trust and obedience in, to him all through those years. And like I said, from the time he was uh, anointed to be the next king of Israel, and his youth actually as a young teenager, probably 12 to 14 years of age, 25 years went by before he actually saw it come to pass that he became the king over Israel and Judah. Now, he was king over Judah for seven years before that, but then finally then he became king over the northern kingdoms as well as Judah in the south. Amazing, amazing story, amazing times that they lived in, and we live in amazing times as well, folks. We need to get back in this book and discover the God of amazing times. Have a great week. Take care of yourself. Be well. Be safe. We'll see you next Sunday night here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com 
for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 